The only six-time Race Across America champion, Christoph Strasser, joins us for a fun and informative episode to discuss RAM in full detail, one section at a time, through each condition and every state of mind. Christoph has a wealth of experience and deep insights to share with us through his nine RAM participations, including two DNFs and countless challenges and successes. There's plenty of beautiful photographs to go along with his adventures too, so if you plan to race or crew for RAM, then this episode is for you. And be sure to check out our previous session with Christoph in episode 37 if you'd like to get even more knowledge and inspiration straight from the ultra cycling legend himself. I'm your host, Justin Tu. Let's roll. Hey Ultra family, Justin Tu here, your host of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in to today's extraordinary episode with our guest again, Christoph Strasser. Of course, we all know him as the Race Across America champ, having won six times out of the nine RAM participations that he was involved with. Of course, if you missed the, the first episode with him, definitely check it out. It was episode 37, where we got a whirlwind tour of who Christoph is, the races that he's competed in, all of his successes, including his world records. It was very fascinating, and there was a lot of knowledge and wisdom that he candidly shared, so don't miss it if you're serious about your ultra cycling. So Christoph, without further ado, you don't need any further introduction. Thank you for joining me on the show again. Hi, Justin. Hello again. Uh, yeah, I'm... Very uh, excited about our second episode. Yes, me as well. It's such a pleasure to be able to have another episode with you in English. I know you're very busy and you do a lot in German as well. And I know all your German fans there in Europe are very excited and thankful for that. And so we thank you for taking the time again. <laughs> Now, we've kind of discussed what we'd like to do for a second episode. And we thought, well, it would be so cool, of course, as the current Ram champion, six-time Ram winner, only one, to discuss the race across America in detail. Our first episode together was really a great tour of your whole career. Of course, you started at a very young age, and you're still very young at 38 years of uh, age. But to dive into the race across America and to get into the mind of the champion himself, to understand as we go through the Ram route, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, you know, what's keeping you going. So before we get into that, of course, I have put together another sprint round of questions to start with in a fun way, but I'd like to show folks some of what we'll be covering. So of course, a lot of great photos that you sent through and you've had incredible photographers along the journey. So I'm really glad that you were able to capture all these memories. And I'm sure even for you looking back at these photos, what the, how does that make you feel? Yeah, it's for me, it's just incredible because um, it's such a long time of my life. Uh, I have been doing Race Across America and nine participations. Uh, there are so much... Uh, so many memories and and yeah if today i was just thinking about how much time i have spent uh in the country of usa uh, for doing race across america and when i when i put all the the weeks and months together um nine time the race um 
before each race, I've been there for two weeks uh, before mm. the race for, for getting used to the hot weather. So altogether, it's nine months of my life. I have been in America for Ram and two more, three more weeks because of uh, Borrego Springs time trial championships and one training camp. So wow. it was 10 months altogether. Wow, that's amazing. Over nine months. That's so cool. Sheesh, so you're pretty much uh, on your way to becoming an American, I think. <laughs> that, that's much more complicated, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, like a, a second place where uh, I'd like to be. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, my son is going to be nine months old in three days' time. So it just makes me think. And for him, he was actually in his mother's womb for the full nine-month term before he was born. So I just think, okay, you were here in America for nine months. It's almost like you were birthed uh, into ultra cycling and becoming the Race Cross America champion, which is really fascinating. And of course, that's why you have so much experience. I mean, just doing the Race Cross America one time for any person in any period of their life, if they're living 80, 90 years old, would be a huge achievement, huge accomplishment, probably the time of their life. And of course, just a game changer and a life changer for themselves. So having participated nine times, I could just imagine all the memories that you have. And so that's why I am thankful. In the last episode, we touched on some of those memories, some of the even challenges. You did DNF twice, 2015 being the year that I was also there. In fact, the photo behind me where I have my very aerodynamic setup with my jersey unzipped. <laughs> Everyone loved that when you pointed it out. So thank you for that humor. <laughs> And uh, so it's going to be nice to really dive deep and even just for, for a keepsake and for our memory uh, in the future for others to refer back to. Of course, you are the only six-time Ram champion. But previous to you, one of your idols, Jure uh, Robich, he was the five-time Race Cross America champion. And so this is a big deal. And I know that there's a lot to, to learn from you. And of course, we will go into discussing RAM in full detail. Here's their website, racecrossamerica.org, for those who are interested in learning more and perhaps signing up for 2021. Hopefully, it'll be on. Of course, we will be discussing the route, really dissecting that state by state and section by section. And I've even pulled up for the fun of it, the Race Across America, this was for 2020, the route book. Now, some who have not done RAM or participated or been a crew member or something like that would find this interesting. I mean, if you think of a ride with GPS or something like that, where it has your route there, turn by turn instructions, just imagine 3,000 miles of that. That is why you definitely need a good crew who's either rested well enough or drinking enough coffee to keep you on track because you definitely don't want to take a 20-mile detour on this race. <laughs> So, Christoph, let's have some fun with a quick sprint round of questions. Of course, a series of questions to get to know you more in a fun way. And you can just answer with a few sentences here. First one, of course, we can always talk about food. I'm wondering what are your favorite meals at each meal each day? So first one is breakfast. What is your favorite breakfast meal? Um, it depends. Uh, when I train, uh, before training, I, I like... Uh, Quaker oats, um, oats, yeah, oatmeal oh, yeah, yeah. with some food. And uh, if I do not train, um, I don't have a lot of breakfast, uh, but maybe something sweet. 
Cool. Yeah. No, I love oatmeal too. I'm a daily oatmeal consumer myself. I love blueberries and bananas in mine. What are your favorite fruits in your oatmeal? Um, yeah, all kind of fruit depends on the on the time of the year. Um, mm. Apples from uh, because apples are growing in Austria, and uh, yes. um, yeah, wild berries, uh, strawberries, and something that's great. That's delicious. And in our last episode, we we're talking about farmer Christoph. Any fruits in your garden? <laughs> <laughs> um, apples and raspberries ah delicious wow okay so next time when we can come visit you in austria you'll have to prepare us a fresh bowl of christoph oatmeal <laughs> okay all right how about for lunch what's your favorite lunch meal um my favorite lunch uh maybe i i, I will have it while riding the bike so it's it's just uh, oh. some uh very simple um like an energy bar, like an Ensure, or maybe um, something um, I can buy while riding uh, when I when okay. I buy a gas station or something. Yes. Yeah, but I, I, I do not have a lot of food during the day. I have hmm. um, breakfast and, and lunch. Ah, okay. Interesting. So how about for dinner? Um, yeah, dinner... Um, <laughs> The most important thing is it has to be a lot. <laughs> mm. um, I definitely like uh, a high quality piece of steak or fish. Um, mm. Yeah, fish is maybe my, my, my favorite. So like a, a tuna filet or something with uh, yeah, apples or potato, uh, sorry, with potatoes and salad. Oh, that sounds delicious. All right. Looking forward to a full day of meals with Christoph. <laughs> now, do you prepare them or does uh, Sabina prepare them for you? Um, yeah, she does it much more often, but sometimes I'm cooking on my own, of course. Um, but in fact, we are always cooking. So we do not go out to a restaurant very often or, or, mm. or buy something to eat. Uh, we just go to the supermarket and, and have our own kitchen and we cook on our own because it's much more healthy mm. and the big problem is when i go to a restaurant um it's always too less so when i leave the restaurant <laughs> i'm hungry and that's, that's the reason yeah. why going out for a restaurant doesn't make a lot of fun wow yeah that's very interesting you'll have to send us a photo one day of one of your dinner meals so we could see how much food we're talking about that that'll be very interesting <laughs> Okay, now talking about, say, uh, on the bike, do you have a preferred cadence or range that you prefer uh, pedaling in? Yes, it's uh, very low. So I'm uh, mm. always using um, heavy gears. I, I do not feel comfortable with a cadence like 85 or 90. That's, mm. that's making me tired. That's making uh, stress to my mind and to my body. <laughs> the favorite cadence is... 70 75 hmm, and fascinating in a in a long distance bike race sometimes it even gets lower because when you're hmm. tired um it, it's very um very hard to keep up a high cadence hmm. i've discussed it with my coach and he says um at the end of the race i'm getting much more time out of the saddle and at the beginning of the race hmm. I try to focus to stay in the aero position. Mm. But of course, the aero position um, is a bit more exhausting for your upper body and, and for everything, for your neck. So right. when the race gets longer and longer, I'm 
getting out of the aero position a bit more and, and in the end of the race, even out of the saddle because you have pain um, and, and getting out of the saddle is a bit of relief. Mm, yeah, fascinating. All right, so That's, it seems like at least the first half, it's a lot of aero as much as possible. And the second half, it's kind of whatever is going to work and feel comfortable to make it to the end. Yes, um, yeah. you always should think that being in the aero position is the best thing, but it's it's to practice it over days and days, it's, it gets really tough in the end. Yeah, I can only imagine. Don't know how you even do it for one day. <laughs> of course, you have done the 24-hour records, both indoor and outdoor, so you're quite used to that, even outside of the race across America. Of course, you have competed in many other ultra events, including the race around Ireland, race around Slovenia, and others, even there in Austria. Now, I'm curious, what do you look forward to most in the off-season? You, you just concluded your off-season sh a short while ago, a couple of weeks ago, I think now. What do you look forward to the most? Sleeping, eating, not biking, something <laughs> else? <laughs> um, yeah, going out for a drink with friends in the evening. Uh. Um, yeah, in, in the last few weeks, that was not possible because of the, of this, of the general situation and the lockdowns. But um, yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing. Of course, I eat a bit more and, and I sleep a bit longer. But um, yeah, having more time to spend with friends is the best thing in the offseason. Yeah, that sounds great. Nice way to recharge, get some encouragement and have some fun. <laughs> okay, now short question. Do you ride on Zwift or anything else like that? Any virtual worlds? Um, yeah, last year I've tried Swift, um, but I was so bored after one session. Uh, I cannot understand why people are so excited about it. Um, I think it's a great tool. If you, if you can uh, get more motivation from Swift, then it's great. But for me personally, I, I enjoy much more when I look um, YouTube uh, videos of musicians, live concerts, mm. uh, Live sports like tennis or skiing or something uh, gives me more motivation than riding on Swift. Wow, fascinating. All right. So there is stuff that keeps you preoccupied in your pain cave. That's nice. Is there another sport that is your favorite other than bicycling? Um, yeah, definitely tennis, but I've never played tennis in my life, but I'm just huh. uh, a fan. Uh, I enjoy <laughs> watching the Grand Slam tournaments, but uh, yeah. It's just great to see how, how the big players of the sports, when they, when they face each other, yeah. and you see the mental ups and downs, and, and when one player is strong and the other one is just getting more and more nervous, and a few, a few minutes later, it changes back. So it's, it's really mm, you can, fascinating. Yeah, you can see the mental aspect of the sport in tennis. Yeah, pretty cool. All right. So once you retire from ultra cycling, once you've completed your 10th Ram victory, then we'll see you in some tennis shorts out on the courts. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think so, but, but maybe in the, in the crowd watching. Right. Cool. All right. Okay. Now I want to see what is the most difficult parts of the race across America for you and ultra riding in general. So a, a few different topics here. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being, you know, extremely difficult, how difficult is it for you to go to sleep? I mean, you don't sleep a whole lot, but on a scale of 1 to 10, how difficult is it or how easy is it to go to sleep? 
Um, I think it's it's a one. It's very easy because uh, when you when you just sleep for five, six, or seven hours in the whole race, you are so tired that you are you have to fight against falling asleep most of the time. Mm. So if you finally get get the chance to get some sleep and and your crew prepares a sleep break for you, uh, then you just lay down and fall asleep immediately. Right. And if you do not fall asleep immediately, uh, there is no reason to stop for, for a sleep break. Then you should go on. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we could all relate with that. Now, we have had a couple guests on the show, not just for the Rich Cross America, but just in general, where they sometimes have a difficulty sleeping for whatever reason. Now, that's a very, that's a very tough uh, problem to have when you're exhausted. But generally, it is true that you're so exhausted that, I mean, even on the bike, you're already sleeping let alone when you're sitting down before your head even hits the pillow or the backrest of the seat, you're already asleep. Okay. Now, how about waking up for you? How difficult is it for you to wake up? <laughs> that's, that's very tough. Um, I think in, in, the, in the first half of, of Race Across America, it's, it's five, five mm. points. Um, in, the, in the first two or three nights, um, I do not need... To be waked up because uh, I wake up myself, hmm. and even after a power nap of 20 minutes, um, I have no problems um, getting on the bike again. But in the second half of the race, it's a 10. It's one of the most difficult things and one of the most painful and tough things. Um, you fall asleep very soon, um, and then getting um, up again getting on the bike again it's just really it's horrible sometimes because um, you have much more pain than before going to sleep because if your muscles cool down a little bit and, and um, then you have to get going again you need some time to find the rhythm again mm. you're confused in your mind you are tired you you're not you don't know what what's going on around you so it really takes some time after yeah, after a sleep break to find the rhythm again. But mm. yeah, it's in all my participation, it has been the same. So the, the thing is, um, even when you experience it more often, you it, it does not get easier from one time to the other. You just find ways to handle it. And mm. and you know that finally it's going better again. It's, it's getting better again in a few minutes or hours, but it's not getting easier. Mm, yeah, it's so true. One of the extremely difficult parts of RAM, of course, for those who are observing and spectating online or even in person, you know, they see the nice photos in the daytime. They see, you know, all of the, the glory and uh, the finish line. But what they don't realize is those very dark moments there in the witching hours or whenever it is. And when you're there just by yourself struggling to even just wake up and get back on the bike. And so it's very true. And it even happens to the champion himself. Okay. Now, how about eating a lot? You know, you have to eat so much every day. Now, you mostly do ensure. I'm sure maybe here and there you might have a little small snack of something else. But how difficult is it for you each day and each sip to, to drink on a scale of 1 to 10? That's not For me, it's not difficult. It's, it's maybe... It's two. It's two points. So it's it's quite easy to get to get enough calories because uh, I found a way to, um, yeah, 
to fuel myself without getting sick or something. But on the other hand, it's, it's really difficult not to drink too much, especially in the first two days when it's very hot, mm -hmm. when you go through the desert, uh, when you cross Arizona, um, you would like to drink much more because you're so thirsty. You're maybe a bit dehydrated, but um, we have our plan, our, our nutrition plan. And like I've told you last time, um, drinking too much or drinking plain water is, is not good. And mm. that's, that's difficult for me just to get a little bit of drink every half an hour, but I would like to have much more. And this is something where the crew is so important. Also in the sleep breaks, um, getting on the bike again after a sleep break is really tough, but a good crew can support you so much. They are keeping you in a high spirit. They are helping you with getting the clothes on and everything. And also in nutrition, uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's the responsibility of the crew to, yeah, to get your nutrition when you need it. Yeah, very true. And of course, you have had a very excellent crews, not just excellent photographers. And on the subject of sleep, now these ones you're not sleeping, but it is at night. And there are great photos, very creative. But also, it's very interesting to just visualize and to try to see how tired you may look, even just looking at your eyes. Now, this photo was from your 2018 RAM, so just two years ago time station 41 there's 55 time stations so this is very much towards the end of the race across america and so it's very interesting just to see what somebody looks like and the champion after racing so hard and so long through all the conditions and all the states what that looks like so then uh, the next question for you christoph is how difficult on a scale of one to ten is it for you to uh, stay positive on the bike, you know, when things get difficult, whether it's the conditions, maybe it's too, so hot, maybe it's so cold, maybe you just have a lot of pain physically, maybe you're having trouble falling asleep, or rather, you're having trouble staying awake. How, how difficult is it for you to stay positive throughout the race? Well, that's a tough question. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's six points out of 10. Mm. Uh, but even if I do not stay positive, um, I have to ride on. So it, in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much because if you're not in a good mood, you still have to go on. You, mm. It's not a reason for, for slowing down because um, it's not realistic to think that you can have high spirits and, and good motivation and positive thoughts all the race that's, that's never going to happen. There will always be some negative uh, thoughts in your mind and, and some bad times and some painful times. And it's, it's the only realistic thing is you will have good and bad times. So it's, yeah, bad times are part of the game. Mm, that's very fascinating. Here's a photo from one of your very first Rams, 2009. And it seems like it is a challenging instance here challenging moment like you said but yes, you have that, to keep pressing on that was uh, that was just a few miles before we had to to stop and dnf the race um mm. you see in my face it was already there was um it was 
swollen. My face was, there was swelling in my face. Mm. And of course, in the last hours of that, of that race, 2009, it was my first race across America. I was a rookie and I had very high motivation, of course, and, and I was hoping for a good finish. And then you realize that you're getting seriously ill, not just a little bit uh, pain here and there, but you're seriously ill. Mm. And you have I had fever and I had a cough and, and everything. My lungs uh, were ill. So I knew that it's, it's going to be over very soon. And then, of course, it's, it's not possible anymore to have, to have um, a good spirit. Well, oh, difficult. Here's another one. Now, this one is from 2012. This is just the second day. So you're going through the heat of somewhere, Arizona, Utah, I'd imagine. And you could see, of course, your crew is helping you to cool down. Tell me about this kind of photo. That was uh, the race 2012. I was the defending champion. So I was hoping for another yeah, very good race and, and maybe for winning again. And in that picture, I was, I think, third, fourth or fifth position. So I was not leading. Uh, Rita Schoch, um, who will win the race finally, was, was in the lead. And I had really struggling um, with the heat. It was very hot. I had, I had to stop for a few times. Um, uh, I was vomiting one time and I was really yeah, fighting the hot temperatures. And yeah, when you, you're hoping for a good result and you're on the, in, the, in the results, it was, I think, time station six or seven or something. Um, I was not so good as I, ho I was hoping for. Um, you get some frustration. Yeah, that was a challenging moment. But but one day later, um, I was feeling much better again. And and at the halfway point of the race, I was able to catch the leader, Rita Schoch, and, and we had a head-to-head -head race until the finish. Wow, that's some exciting stuff, Christoph. And that just makes me think of another episode that we had with the WUCA secretary, actually, Jeffrey Ritter of the World Ultra Cycling Association. Now, he's a recumbent rider, episode 32. And he was talking about how, you know, he has to learn and accept that it's okay to suffer. And it sounds like that's what you're saying as well, that even when you're feeling the pain mentally, physically, when you're going through a tough time, you know, you have to just accept that, embrace that and keep pushing on, knowing that, look, that is a regular part of ultra racing. But at the same time, as you discussed in that first photo from 2009, you also have to know when it becomes a safety risk to your life, literally, and it could get too, uh, too extreme and you do have to stop for your own safety and perhaps even for the crew safety. So having a, an excellent crew, but also being disciplined yourself is very important for ultra racers and, uh, not, and remembering that you can always come back uh, the next year and And so I think you, 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 you have gotten a lot of that experience and, and understand that very well. So thank you for sharing that knowledge with us. Okay, now another question I have. What percentage of your training is solo just by yourself versus riding with maybe a friend or riding with a group? Unfortunately, I think uh, 90% or maybe 95% of my training is, is solo because... 
during the week, during the day, um, not a lot of, of uh, bike friends have, have enough time to come with me. Um, mm. In the wintertime, a lot of training is indoor. So I enjoy riding together, but yeah, it, it happens um, on the weekend maybe or, or on the weekend in every two weeks. And during the week, I'm riding alone. Mm, I have yeah. to. I enjoy riding with, with other people, but but yeah, it's it's not possible too often. Mm, right. Well, I'm glad you do have Federer to be there with you as you watch him play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> But it is difficult. But of course, you are a solo racer, and that's what you're a champion for. And so it does make sense that, of course, you have a lot of that experience riding alone. But glad you are able to, on occasion, get a ride in with others. I know it is motivating and just fun also to explore together. Now, talking about doing something together, who would be your dream team partner for the Race Across America? If you were doing a two-person team, who would you want to be on your team? Anyone? Well, somebody that's alive today. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that's, that's, that's difficult. Uh, it depends on uh, what, what is the goal. Do we want to go for a, for a very fast winner's time or just for enjoying uh, the adventure? Mm. Um, if we go for, for a race win, I would pick uh, <laughs> maybe maybe Ralph the Savis from Luxembourg because mm. he is so fast. He is so fast. He is really great, but I think he he could improve a little bit on his on his management with sleeping breaks. So he has a bit more off time of the bike time than others. So he's on the bike super fast, but he could cut off his, his time when he leaves the bike. So, yeah, I think at the moment he's one of the fastest. Mm. Yes, geez, that would be some very exciting racing if we ever saw that one. I wonder how fast you two would be able to cross the country. <laughs> I mean, you finish as fast as probably, I don't know, maybe some of the slower uh, teams or, you know, two-person teams. I don't know, four-person teams. But, man, with the both of you, I wonder how quickly that would be. We wouldn't even have enough time to blink our eyes and you'd be at the finish line already. <laughs> yeah, it would be exciting. Maybe, maybe in a few years I have to ask him. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be cool. Keep us posted. We'll look forward to having you both on the show. <laughs> well, I know for next year, 2021, I believe Chris Hopkinson and Marco Ballo will actually be competing as a two-person relay team. And man, that would have been really exciting if we had uh, you, you two pairs of racers out there, a two-person team. <laughs> wow. Now, now, Jonathan Moore, he had a question. And from he watched the last episode and he was wondering, will you be attending Ram 2021? I'm not sure at the moment. Um, the problem is that you have, especially when you're coming from Europe, you have to do a lot of planning. You have to, uh, to get your crew together. Um, everybody on the crew has to take two weeks off his, his, his job mm. and you have to book the flights and and the, the camper van and everything so at the moment it's very 
you cannot make plans for summer because of the of the situation on the whole world of the of the corona situation mm-hmm. i hope that race across america will take place of course but from europe you must make the decision now mm. in september or maybe january or at least february but i'm not very optimistic that we can we can make the decision now mm. because we not know what is going to happen in summer yes uh, so i'm not sure at the moment yeah it's very unfortunate of course of course for every sport and all around the world not just ultra cycling we do miss you out here but we do look forward to the time when you are able to come back and perhaps it will be with ralph <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Christoph, another question we had here. I know you were chatting on Facebook with a couple of the the audience. So for those who are interested in in having a conversation with you through Facebook or Instagram, Fabio Biasiolo and Adam Ashwell were wondering about your functional threshold power FTP and also your power to weight ratio. Perhaps it might be interesting to know perhaps now, but I know you are at the beginning of your next season of training, but perhaps even just generally for the last few race across Americas when you're in your best form. Yeah. In the, in the best form in spring and in early summer, it's about 400 to 410 or maybe 420 watts. And my body weight is about 78, 79 kilograms. So it's, it's, I think, 5.1, 5.2 watts per kilogram. Wow, those are some amazing numbers. <laughs> but, um, yeah, of course, there are, there are riders who have much higher FTP. But mm-hmm. the, the important question is, how long are you able to hold um, 70, 80, 90% of your FTP? Because even if you have a very high FTP, you can maybe go extremely fast for one hour, but slow down in the second, third hour. But ultra cycling, you need during the race. I try to catch uh, something between sixty and seventy percent of FTP. And the best thing is when you're able to hold that for twenty-four hour periods. When you when you, for example, do a twenty-four hour race. And that's the difficult thing. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. But you, of course, you mastered that and have done that so well. Not only are you a strong rider and have a high FTP, but you're also able to sustain a very high percentage of that FTP through, well, in your race across America, say on average on an eight-day time frame, which is very impressive. You've also done, of course, the 24-hour records. I know one of the most difficult things or the most difficult thing you've done is on the indoor velodrome. And we talked about that in the last episode. So again, episode 37, for those who would like to learn more about that. Now, on the shorter end of things, do you ever compete or participate in any shorter road races, perhaps even just as a training or a time trial or something like that? Um, Yes, I do. But not too often. But sometimes I do, especially in time trials. Um, That's because uh, it's for my training motivation. When you just have one big race or two big races in the year, uh, it's a bit more difficult to get enough motivation. But when you when there are some smaller races here and there, it's yeah, it's it's good for your training spirit. So time trials between half an hour and one hour, um, I really like them, and I like to 
to match to compete against the, the time trial specialists, the, the really fast guys in time trialing. And when I'm able to um, to be on the podium or to be in the top 10 um, in an amateur race of time trial, I'm very happy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Must be fun. Definitely you need to stay motivated. That's always challenging. Now, we were talking about the aero position earlier. We're talking about time trials now. Some nice photos here. This one is on day four, 2013, in your well-known TT position on your shiv, specialized shiv. Looking yeah, good. Kansas is always a very special experience. Yeah. <laughs> now, how do you fare in, in the winds in Kansas? If there's a headwind or there's a crosswind, does that dampen your spirit at all? Or are you able to just power through that and doesn't bother you at all? To be honest, it's not, it's not stressing me that much. I think there are other people who have much more problems because I'm not so a lightweight guy. But that's, yeah, that's the reason why it isn't a big problem for me, riding in the wind. And um, most of the time in Kansas, the wind comes from the right side. It comes from the south right. and, and not directly headwind. And the, the biggest problem for me riding in, 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 in tough winds is the noise because it's so loud. You have that sound in your ears all the time. You're not able to talk to anybody. You're not able to listen to music. Uh, it's just loud and loud and loud, the, the wind. That's, that's what, what's frustrating me most. Oh, that's a very interesting answer. Haven't gotten that one before, but it is actually very true. It is very disturbing. And when you can't communicate as well with your team, that, that's difficult. And if you can't do things to keep your mind busy, including music, that also makes it a challenge. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple other here shorter questions before we get into the RAM route. Prince Kalako is wondering about cleat position. So forefoot or the midfoot, do you have a preference and any recommendation for ultra long endurance races? Um, I do not have recommendations because I think it's very individual, like your, your position on the bike. But I use the ordinary um, forefoot position, but I move the, the cleat uh, to, the, to the range back on the shoe. So my, my shoe is a bit more in front of the pedal, but it's not, it's not a midfoot position, it's a front forefoot position. Ah, okay. Interesting. Very fascinating. I like to, to move my saddle forward. So mm -hmm. it's more like a, a triathlon position maybe than um, a road bike position, some, especially on right. especially a trial bike. Mm, yeah. Very interesting. Now, during the Race Across America, do you ever come out of your, your shoes uh, or your, your, your clipped-on shoes with cleats? to wear regular, you know, running shoes, tennis shoes or anything like that? Do you ever change that? <laughs> no, uh, there, is, uh, there is no reason for that. I just have, have three pairs of shoes when it's raining very strong and everything is wet. You have to get some dry shoes. Mm. And sometimes when it's just a, a short 
break um, 20 minutes of a power nap, it's I, I stay in the shoes. I do not take them off. I just take them off when it's uh, the one hour sleep break in the night. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Yeah, you have you have to take care of every second. No, um, yeah, no, no time should be wasted with getting your shoes on and off when it's not necessary. Right, right, right. Yeah, fascinating. But during those times when, okay, when you're having your power nap, I mean, you're out, you're so tired. So I guess you don't think anything of it. And any other times that you stop, you're going very quickly. It's like a NASCAR pit stop. So I suppose you don't really have time to think or worry about how your feet might be feeling and how it might feel nice to take off your shoes and maybe be in a pair of sandals for a few minutes because that never happens for you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I found out that one of my personal challenges is um, getting numb fingers. So the, the nerves in the, in the fingers here from, from holding the aero bar Mm. or just also in the time trial position, um, all the nerves here, they get some pressure. Mm. So I often have problems with my fingers, but I never have problems with my feet and my toes. Mm. And when I talk to other racers, some other racers, they do not have problems in their hands, but in their toes and, and feet. So it's it's individual again. And if you if your toes are yeah, painful, then of course, it's a good idea to take off the shoes sometimes. Mm, yeah, very fascinating. Here's another great photo. This one is a time station two, just, just uh, past that or on the way. Of course, we're going through the sand dunes here, the imperial sand dunes. So this is towards the beginning of the ride. But now the photo, you can't really tell. I'm sure it must be quite warm. I mean, in the 90 degrees Fahrenheit or perhaps even in the hundreds already at this point. And we could see your position. As you mentioned, you do have that forward seating position like a triathlon bike. And in fact, the, sh the Shiv is a, tri I mean, a very popular triathlon bike, in fact. And of course, very aggressive position. Aero bars are not raised up at all. It's as aggressive as you can get. And of course, as you were mentioning, your, your cleats, you move them on the furthest back position at the front. Now, sometimes going through the heat, people will get things like hot foot. Has that ever happened to you? Um, just a little bit, but it was not such a big problem. And um, it is something um, you can, if you turn your focus to other things and, and don't give attention to the, to the pain in your, in your soles, in your feet, mm. Um, it's nothing which really, um, you can still go on, even if you have, if you have your yeah, hot foot and, and pain in your, in your feet, um, it would be different. For example, if your knees are a problem and if you have pain in your knee and, and that would maybe keep you from, from riding, but mm. uh, pain in the, in the feet is, you can you can manage it mentally. Mm, yeah, so true. Now talking about other issues here, this is 2015. Tell us about what's happening in this image. Yeah, that was one of my toughest moments in RAM at all. It was on top of Kuchara Pass, which is uh, mm. a third of the three big Rocky Mountain passes. You have the Wolf Creek Pass, which is the highest one. Mm. Then you have the Laveta Pass, which is 
the easy one of, of these three, and then that's Kuchara Pass. And this is the steepest and for me the, the toughest. And that was when I, I got heavy problems in my lungs and, and breathing was, was just nearly impossible. Um, I couldn't breathe anymore, take, take no deep breath anymore. And I was swelling in my face, in my, in my feet, in my legs and, and everywhere. So it's, I had too much water inside my body. I was gaining weight and it was, we had to stop on the, on top of Kuchara Pass uh, and wait for 20 or 30 minutes to get, so that I was able to, to, to do the downhill because I was in such a bad condition The saturation of oxygen in my blood was very low so i was afraid of um, crashing in the downhill or or falling asleep or or just collapsing so we had to stop on the top of the hill and and wait for a few minutes and then uh, one day later we had to accept that the race is over and i that was the year of my second dnf wow amazing yeah, it's incredible. And even after so many years since your first one, and after so many victories, that circumstances can happen. And again, you have to take your safety and health into consideration. And so even the very best ultra cyclist, Christoph Strasser, even has to make those difficult decisions. But of course, you tried to take a short break, you kept going, you even kept pushing through. But a day later, you did have to admit that, okay, you know, I have to come back again. And of course you did. And now you have, of course, achieved your sixth Ram victory and there will be many more still to come, I believe. Okay, two other questions here. And then I want to turn our attention to the Ram route and to learn more about each state. Tell us something you think most people don't know about you. <laughs> um, I'm not addicted to cycling at all. Huh. So. Ah. I like riding my bike. I like training. I like racing, but I also like my off time uh, without training, going on holidays, going uh, in summer, going for a swim, having an easy time. And a lot of people think that that ultra cyclists are addicted. They they do not feel comfortable when not on the bike, but that's not true. I can enjoy life without bike as well. Mm. Yeah, that's very fascinating. And thanks for sharing that one. Didn't know that about you. Or, And I, I think for a lot of ultra cyclists, they just love biking. They can't stop doing it. They do it with their friends. They live, move, breathe. You know, they're sleeping and they're biking in their dreams. <laughs> nice to know that even somebody like yourself can have a well-balanced life and still enjoy other things. Of course, you are an author of your book, Strasser's Road. And you are a keynote speaker at many venues. So you do keep yourself very busy. Now, final question I have for you, Christoph, looking here at your Instagram and in other areas, where does the nickname Straps come from? Tell us about that. <laughs> um, it just comes from my second name. So my family name, Strasser and, and Straps was the, I don't know, some of my school friends finally came up with that and all the other friends liked it. And so it's, I have to carry that name for more than thir- um, 25 years now. Oh, interesting. But the funny thing is, yeah. um, in the German language, that word even means um, 
I'm not sure how to explain it. Um, it's it's a sexy outfit of women, you know. Um, <laughs> Interesting. It's when it's it's something like leg warmers, you oh, know, like pantyhose. Yes, and <laughs> it's funny because when you ride a bike a lot, you have the ten lines on your legs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Looks a bit similar uh, than the women outfit. <laughs> that's hilarious. So people make fun uh, with you. Your friends uh, like joking about that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, episode 34, we had young 17-year-old Adam Ashwell, who you did meet, Fort Scott, Kansas. His family runs that time station. Now, he has picked up ultra cycling, and he, you have, uh, of course, inspired him through all the years. He was such a young boy when he first met you. Now, he's 17 years old, doing different ultra races, and I'm sure has great ambitions. So, you know, it's, uh, I know he'll be excited to hear more from you. But also, I think he'll be most excited. And in that episode, he was telling us about a recent uh, century race that he did, the Gorilla Century, where he was wearing pantyhose instead of leg warmers uh, by recommendation, I think, of his father. So I guess he probably feels in good company now after hearing that. He might have felt embarrassed at that time. But man, if Christoph Strasser, his, German, his name Straps in German is about the same, I, maybe that'll yeah. give him even more inspiration now. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. So Christoph, that's all nice to learn about you. Thanks for sharing all those tidbits of information. It's nice to just get to know you even outside of cycling, but also of course with cycling, what helps you, what challenges you have and those kinds of things. Now I do want to turn our attention to the race across America route. So I have it here, ride with GPS in the browser. So those who aren't familiar, it goes through all of these States including just skirting briefly through Pennsylvania. So 13 states. The route changes slightly each year, depending on road closures, detours, anything like that. Now in Ride with GPS, it never pulls up the correct uh, elevation. Of course, it is just estimates based on the map. But according to the RAM website, it's about 170,000 feet. And of course, it's usually between 3,000 to 3,100 miles. It goes through California, Arizona, skirts through Utah, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and then, of course, into Maryland. So, Christoph, I'd love to know and hear from you, looking at the Ram route, going from one state to another, again, kind of, you know, how you're feeling or what you're thinking at different points in the race. Now, we have covered some of that. We've talked about Kansas. We've talked about Colorado, you know, the issues you had with breathing in your 2015 DNF, you know, what challenges you might be facing, your pacing. Now, you talked about in the first half of the race, you know, you tend to be feeling better than the second half, you know, your position on the bike changes, those kinds of things. So it'd be interesting just to hear from you. And so for those who are watching and perhaps planning on doing the race across America, either as a solo racer or as in a relay team, what they can expect and perhaps what they can plan for. So Christoph, just starting over here, West coast of the United States, California, Southern California, all the way down in the South is Oceanside. That of course is where the starting line is. Looking at the map for those who aren't familiar with the area, it starts over here. Of course, at sea level. And as you're coming through, you do go over Palomar Mountain as you make your way to Borrego, which is here. You can see Anza Borrego Desert State Park. 
And of course, this big descent here from about mile looks like 70 or to 80 is the infamous glass elevator into Borrego right there, Borrego Springs. Tell us about this stretch. The first bit, first few miles, it's neutral. You're on the bike path there in Oceanside. And then you start getting out. There are some lights you have to stop through. And the interesting thing about your start is that typically, right, you, you're the last solo racer to, to start, right? So then as you get going, you start picking people up. Now in the neutral zone, you're not allowed to pass anybody until you get off of the bike path. So tell us about that first stretch and what it's like and how it looks catching all the people that started ahead of you. It's a very special part of the race because uh, everybody's a bit nervous and everybody is, is meeting a lot of other riders. But you have to take care not to not to start out too fast because you're you're seeing somebody in front of you, you try to catch him, um, maybe you're overpacing, that's really dangerous. You have to, to find your rhythm, watch at your heart rate, at your power output, and just stick to the plan and not get, get too enthusiastic about, about overtaking other riders. Mm. But the landscape is so beautiful because it's, it's not so hot in the beginning. When you start at the beach, it's, mm. it's very, it's cool, it's, it's, it's comfortable weather and three hours later it it becomes hotter and hotter and hotter and then you have to take care not to not to overpace and in the in the downhill section of the glass elevator it's just um it can be dangerous so i'm always trying when you watch the picture in the background you see the the city of Perigo springs right. so this is my favorite place for the training ahead of ram Hmm. And during the training, I go up and down a glass elevator a few times. So I really see and, and ride the glass elevator a few times so hmm. that I can close my eyes and still do the downhill. And hmm. I feel much more safe when I'm downhilling the glass elevator in the race. Yeah, fascinating. Of course, you do go there ahead of time. Last time we also talked about how you start switching to your liquid Ensure nutrition several days beforehand as well. So it is important to not just show up the day before the race and, and you know use that as your preparation. You don't want to acclimatize, get used to the heat there as well, since you will be spending for most racers, perhaps two or three days in extreme, very extreme heats. So it's very interesting. Of course, you said at the beginning, it is very exciting. You want to be careful not to go too fast. But just to get some sense, generally in all of your race across Americas, how quickly or at which mile do you tend to pass everybody? And at which point are you, are you at the, the front of the race? Um, it depends on the, on the speed of the other riders. <laughs> but um, one, of, one of our big... We have a plan that after the downhill to the glass elevator, after Borrego Springs, there is a there is a big stop sign on the road, and on that stop sign we change the bike. I I'm starting with the with the climbing bike with the with the light lighter one, and then I change to the time trial bike. And for me, in that moment, I try to focus on that the race is getting started now. The first four hours are just taking care, not going too fast, um, using your brain, not to, to, to overpace. Yeah. And then when I, 
I switch to the time trial bike, then I start the the beast mode inside myself. <laughs> I try to and, and I try to yeah to be really fast in the flats in the flats through the desert. Mm, fascinating. So if there's any chance for people, they need to use that first four hours to try to get as much of a head start on you as they can. Because after that, like you said, you go into beast mode and there's no stopping you at that point. <laughs> yeah, but, now, but at the same time, when it's when I change to the time trial bike, it gets really hot. So I'm not able to, to pedal as hard as I wish right. because when it's, yeah... In, in Celsius degrees, when it's 45 or 40 Celsius, right. um, heart rate goes up. So you have, you're not able to push so hard than you would like to. Yes, it's, it's so true and something you have to account for. Now, in this photo, we could see you in a perfect arrow position on your Shiv TT. Of course, your lifelong number is 377, the 377th participant finisher you've got a water bottle cage there at the back very low position and having to hold that for such a long time as you were talking about earlier it is a challenge and you do even have to adjust that especially as you get towards the end but the heat is also a big issue of course once you're going through the imperial sand dunes you have to be careful about monitoring your heart rate and pacing yourself correctly and it's true, you know, I could just imagine a, a rookie at Ram, perhaps they are very experienced even with ultra cycling, but having ridden in the heat and in the desert is another story. And like you said, you may be a strong rider, you are, but even you have to be careful and use your brain to think about, okay, not going too fast because there's such a long race ahead of you. So I think it is nice to hear from you. Now, of course, looking back here at the Ram route, now, we were just talking about starting Oceanside, going through to Borrego Springs. And then, of course, you go through the desert. Of course, if we look on the elevation chart, you could see it does flatten out. Now, there are rolling hills, small rolling hills. Of course, you pass through the town of Brawley. At that point, now it's already getting dark. And then you keep coming along until you reach here, Parker, Arizona. That's just when you cross the state line from California into Arizona. Now, where are you in the route when the sun starts rising, typically? Um, somewhere between Parker and Salome. Salome. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, and it's always difficult because the crew has to go for a gas station. But yeah. in that time of the day, the gas station... Are not open yet so it's always um, very important um, to have a plan with the fuel strategy of the pace car mm. so we always have an additional um, canister of fuel ah. for that kind of case when the car needs to be fueled but the gas station is still closed and yeah in um in some years, we had to use it between Parker and Salome because, yeah, we have been too fast for the gas stations to open. <laughs> wow, that's very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a detail that uh, you could take for granted 
and not even realize you get out there and all of a sudden <laughs> you get stuck because you don't have feel for your car. Now, during no problem because the car can go ahead and leave you alone. But mm. when it's still nighttime, it's it's necessary that the car is behind you. So it's it's not allowed that the car goes ahead to the gas station. Yeah, that's right. For those who aren't familiar, it's a, a similar format to most multi-day events. But in the evening time, typically around sunset, you have to go into what they call the direct follow mode. So a vehicle must stay with you at all times. But during the daytime, especially for traffic reasons, that the car must be in the leapfrog mode. So it cannot stay behind you all the time. Except on some occasions, perhaps if it is a very dangerous stretch, I mean, for safety reasons, it is good to stay there for a short period. So going back to the map then, so you said, so just between uh, Parker here and Salome, yeah. it's about 350 miles there. Now this stretch from Parker to Hope, you could see that it starts picking up here on the elevation chart. So you're, you're doing a climb from Parker. So you cross the state line, it's still very hot. It keeps getting hotter and hotter. Now, of course, from Hope all the way to Congress is a fast stretch, but very hot stretch. And just before you get to the famous climb. Now in Congress, Arizona, typically the bull shifters are there. They have the water pool there. Do you ever make use of that? Uh, I would love to, but I never did spend time on, on jumping into the pool. Um, I just, that's, that's the next point where we have a planned bike exchange so i'm jumping off the time trial bike and jumping onto the road uh, the, the road bike for climbing and my crew is sitting in the well uh, in the in the pool and and having some relaxed minutes and some cool down but i do not stop i just take 20 second stop or one minute maximum and then go on okay. and in that in that point in congress you can understand why it is good when you have a fast start. Of course, you should not start out too fast because then you, you're destroying yourself if you overpace yourself. But it's not good to be very slow and to be um, yeah, taking care of speed too much because when you reach Congress in the middle of the day, you have the climb in the, in the hottest temperature of the day. When you reach Congress in like sunrise in the, in the very early morning hours, you can do the climb when it's still cool. So there is a benefit of having a fast first day and first night of the race. Mm, yeah, so true. But sheesh, for the rest of us, uh, Christoph, it's not uh, much of an option to go that fast. <laughs> I know, I know, of course. But it is a benefit to train and to strategize. Of course, it, you bring up an interesting subject because those are the kinds of things you have to think about. It's not just about the biking, but also how quickly, whether or not you're, you're a very fast rider, but even just planning your sleep break so that way you're on the bike for an extra hour or two rather than sleeping, because you do want to make sure you get to certain parts at a specific time where it could be cooler or not as hot, different conditions, or perhaps even if you're going down a descent where it's brighter uh, rather than dark, so it's safer. 
So I'm glad that you did bring that up. Now, interestingly, Christoph, here is a photo. Actually, I want to show this one first. This one, looking at the file name, it's Time Station 34. What I did here, so you were able to splash your head in this pool. Now, of course, this isn't in Congress, and you could even tell from looking just in the background, you don't see all the desert of Arizona. Looking at the route book, I found Time Station 34 is actually Washington, Missouri. So if we look back on the route, I've put a pin here. So this is uh, well over halfway in Missouri, Washington, Missouri. Thankfully, yes, this is one of, of, the, of the very good time stations as well. There are always a lot of people, a lot of fans, and uh, the people there are offering a pool like, like in Congress. Mm. And that's another great opportunity for the crew to relax a little bit and also for me to have a, a short stop for cooling down, um, especially having washing your head for a few seconds and cooling down a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so, it's so amazing how such a small thing that, I mean, in everyday life, you could do it whenever you want to, whenever you feel like it. But in the Race Across America, just having a little pool filled with water can make such a big difference and it can give you so much relief. And I'm sure even with all the fans out there, it gives you a lot of motivation because a lot of the stretch, of course, I mean, it's a 3,000 mile route. That's a very long distance. For most of that, it's just you. And even with your crew, they're there behind you. Now, of course, they do have to do a good job as well to motivate you and to keep you encouraged. So, of course, it is very important for you to have a good crew to keep you motivated when you're out there because there aren't fans lining the road like in the Tour de France or even a shorter race. So it is important to have some motivation and encouragement when you're out there. Now, this is a great photo, of course having uh, a team that is not uh, embarrassed <laughs> to make you laugh. Here's another great one. This one is time station 15 to 18. Yeah, this one was in the Wolf Creek Pass and it's one of my favorite pictures ever. Huh. It's such a, nice, such a nice photo. And this was in the, in the year when we had uh, the super fast road, um, the record of seven days, 15 minutes. So we reached Wolf Creek oh. Pass in the afternoon. It was very warm. It was very good mm. weather. And it was, yeah, bright. Because in most other years, you reach, or I reached the Wolf Creek Pass at the, at the night or in midnight or something. And it's very cold and a bit more uh, boring going the uphill in the dark. Mm. Yeah, so true. Talking about that, Let's take a moment to just look at the route from a high level and to understand generally, looking at the route, which states are you typically riding through during the daytime and which ones during the nighttime? In the first two or three days, it is mostly the same in all the years. And then... Um, at the, towards the end of the race, it depends on how fast you are. Hmm. But one of the one of the big changes in my in my race across America years was the new route before Flagstaff. Because in my first few years, we have gone uh, to Flagstaff on a much shorter way, and hmm. 
from 2016, there has been an additional, um, I think, 100 kilometers. It's it's a, a longer part of the route. Mm. It, it was added before Flagstaff. So we didn't go the shortest way to Flagstaff, but an additional a few miles. So since that time, it's it's impossible to reach Flagstaff in the afternoon. I'm always there during the night. But before that, it was like... Um, yeah, going through from Congress to Flagstaff during the day and then reaching Monument Valley in the sunrise or in my very fast years, I was crossing Monument Valley even in the night. Wow. But since uh, the route changed, um, all of that things uh, changed a little bit. Mm, very interesting. So, of course, with the Race Cross America, you're, you're riding 24-7. So half the time in the night, half during the day. So in some ways, you, you haven't seen the whole course during the daytime. Is there a particular state that you would like to come back to in order to see or experience when there is actually light somewhere that you've missed out on? Yeah, luckily, I have seen most of the routes in, uh, in the day because when I was training for ran two weeks before the start hmm. i was there um in 2009 i was doing like from one time station to the other um sleeping in a motel and then on the next day going on uh we ah. been until time station seven to prescott mm -hmm. and in the next year we have we began our training journey in prescott and did the training until Wolf Creek Pass. And a few years later, we, we have been in the Rocky Mountains for the, for the pre-race training. And before my first record in 2013, I've been from Ohio to the finish. So the last 1,000 kilometers um, during a training ride in spring. So we have traveled to America for one week, or I think it was 10 days. To see all the routes during the day because it helps you in your mind when you are familiar to the to the landscape to the road surface uh, to the yeah just to the environment when you've seen it before with a clear mind because especially in the end of the race when you are tired and you are not concentrated anymore and you forget a lot of things which happened um, it helps you a lot when you have been there in training to to recognize the the surroundings with a clear mind mm. yeah that's so true and very interesting didn't know that so it's great and i think maybe unique to only a few ram racers that actually go out and be able to see the entire route on its own i have seen the whole route as well in 2014 before i did my ram i rode the whole ram route over a longer period of time and so i was able to ride mostly through the daytime on the route and definitely is a beautiful course going back to there now you were talking about a variety of things we we kind of left off um uh, around uh, the salome area we were talking about congress and the water pool there by the bull shifters just before the famous yarnell grade which can be very hot of course you're climbing a lot if you look through the elevation chart all the way until you get to essentially flagstaff a beautiful area Coconino national forest and of course, you hit Flagstaff, and that's kind of a nice milestone that you reach. 
after that, you get a very nice descent. I don't know if you remember that one, very wide road. You pick up a lot of speed on your way through the rolling hills past Tuba City and onwards towards Monument Valley. Anything in that stretch that you want to mention? Um, yes, um, when you just when you've just shown the map, you have seen the additional loop before Flagstaff. So in yeah. the year before, it was the, the shorter connection. Oh, and, I see. Okay, right here, this section. Um, uh, well, now we oh. go through Coconino Forest. Uh, yes. And earlier years, we have gone through Sedona. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So actually, in 2015, when I did RAM, it was still going through Sedona. Yes, it was. And, and that is such a beautiful section because um, Sedona is right on the hillside. Wow. Interesting. Mm. Have you been there during the night, maybe? Through Sedona? Yes. I have only been there through uh, the daytime. Yeah, early morning. So I was actually able to enjoy that. Do you usually, in the past years, you only go through the, the nighttime? No, I've, I've gone there in the afternoon. Um, oh, okay. Reached Flagstaff by sundown. Was oh, cool, cool. What I wanted to, to um, tell that my crew chief in, in these years, he always told me our big goal is to reach Flagstaff before it's getting dark. Because when mm. you go the downhill, from Flagstaff to Tuba City, mm. and there is still some sun, you have tailwind. And when it's getting dark, the wind stops. So you don't uh -huh. have wind anymore. And these are some specific details. I know that it, it doesn't help you when you are, when you, when you reach Flagstaff in the night or in the morning, but when it's in the afternoon, it's definitely the best time of the day to do the downhill because then you will enjoy taking every day. That's, that's fascinating. One of the yeah. So questions. a lot of details that you have to figure out some of it, you wouldn't know you have to do quite a bit of research. And so, as you mentioned, looking here, Flagstaff. So right after Flagstaff, you got a short little climb to get to the top there, but you're right. You get a very nice descent and you go very fast. And then from that point on going into Tuba city, it's some rollers, of course. Then it does have a climb again as you head on towards Monument Valley. Of course, you also pass through Mexican Hat. There's a nice fast descent there too, short, steep one. It's very hot there as well. But it seems like you're riding through the evening time, actually, through a lot of this. As you mentioned, you try to get to Flagstaff around sunset. And then you, so you skirt through Utah before you get into Colorado. Now I've dropped the pin here, that's Durango. That's the first cutoff point. And between Cortez, the first city that you kind of get to, it's kind of remote once you're in Monument Valley coming through here all the way till you get to the first city, Cortez. And between here and here is a lot of climbing as well. And of course you keep going, Pagosa Springs, South Fork. So, the Wolf Creek Pass is actually in this section here. As you can see, it's the, the highest point in the Ram route on the elevation chart. So tell us about Wolf Creek for you and your experience. I mean, it is one of the famous ones. It's not the only climb. It is the highest elevation, and it is a nice point. How are you feeling at that point in the race? 
Um, yeah, it's you've just uh, went for uh, you've just gone forward on the route very fast. So um, we didn't talk about Monument Valley before reaching Wolf Creek Pass. Uh, this is definitely one of the most beautiful parts of of the whole race across America. Mm. Um, and we have this nice photo of you yes, here. There are, there are so many nice pictures. This is the famous Forrest Gump point yes. when Forrest Gump turned yeah. around because he yes, didn't exactly. want running anymore. Yeah, and yes. it's, it's so exciting to to be there and to see the the big mountains and everything. It's just it's just great, and I'm always very thankful that I am yeah able to see that in 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 real nature and not just only on pictures. But then, of course, Monument Valley is, is on, on very high altitude, so it's 2,000 uh, meters high. You still uh, um, get the feeling that the air is getting thinner. There is not enough oxygen anymore, so mm -hmm. your body has a bit of stress. And during the day, it gets very hot again. And then when you reach the, the Rocky Mountains and the Wolf Creek Pass, there is a very fast change in temperature because a few hours before you have the desert of Mexican heads and mm. and um, going um, doing the climb to Cortez and uh, the time station before everything there is very hot and you're gaining in altitude and then you have the Rocky Mountains and reaching Wolf Creek Pass in the night it, it's zero degrees Celsius it's really very cold. Oh. Just a few hours after it has, there has been 40 degrees. Mm. So that's really tough. And I did Wolf Creek Pass in training a few times. Um, and it's not very tough when you're, when you're relaxed and when you're, yeah. you have slept and everything. It's, it's, not so, it's not so steep. It's very yeah. long, but it's not so steep. But in the race, of course, it's one of the, of the toughest sections because, yeah, when, when I reach Wolf Creek Pass, I have only slept for maybe 40 minutes until there. Wow, amazing. You have endured so much climbing and, and, temp and changes in temperature. So it's really, it's really tough and you have very thin air. Mm. And that's already just about a thousand miles into the race, so a third of the way there and with very little sleep at all. Now, I do want to show a few other photos here. Of course, very nice ones for each year of RAM. I'll start here with this one first. This one was from Cottonwood. Now, this is in Arizona. And this is before you get to Flagstaff. So to give people an idea of what the landscape looks like there through the Arizona desert, of course, very well known. And also Monument Valley as well for the, the kind of red reddish rocks yeah and uh, this is one of the of the very beautiful um downhills it's it's right. before Sedona, it's it's through sharon it's it's a mountain city and it's a beautiful place and and the whole part in arizona is so beautiful it's it's very hot and not so comfortable but just mm. seeing the landscapes is great yes yes very beautiful all around, but Arizona is unique. Now, this one is on day three 
Front, looking at the trees, it looks like it must be in Colorado. Do you know exactly where this is? Yes, this was on the ascent to um, the uphill section to Wolf Creek Pass. Mm. And in that year, there have been some wood fires in that area. So mm. I, I was carrying the, the protection in the face. Right. Yes, yeah. 2013. And then, of course, we were talking about riding at nighttime. This is also day three. So going through Colorado then, I'd imagine. And again, we're talking about, you know, how riding at nighttime and, you know, there's no fans out there. It's just you and the lights shining on you from your follow vehicle there. Yeah. And in this photo, you see that um, there was uh, two riders just behind each other. So oh, I think okay. I was overtaking another, another uh, man just a few minutes before. I'm not sure who it was oh. because... In 2012, I had a very bad start. I told you before, I was slow in the first two days, mm. had problems, and then I was trying to, to make my way to the front of the race, and I was overtaking some other riders. And this is always a very special moment, very a lot of motivation for you. Mm. But when you are the slower one, and another one overtakes you, <laughs> it's not so, so good because it's, it's a bit frustrating sometimes. Yeah, that is true. Especially at that point in the race, you've already done hundreds of miles. Now this one, again, you said day uh, 2012, but this was day three, but it looks like at the photo, you're still in the Monument Valley area. So not yet in Colorado in this year, but nowadays you typically are in the Colorado area already. Of course, you ride very fast from the beginning. So it's very fascinating. And so if we continue on in the route, then where we left off. So we were talking also about Colorado. Of course, it is a very high altitude through the Rocky Mountains. Several passes earlier, we were talking about Levada uh, and then Kuchara as well. There is a lot of riding through there and high altitudes can get very cold. Has it ever rained or hailed on you or something like that or lightning storms when you're going up Wolf Creek or somewhere else in Colorado? Luckily, not. I had a lot of bad weather in, in Kansas and, mm. and until the finish in the second half of the race, like 2019 in my last Ram, it was the, the year with the most rain and it was raining four days in a row. It was just wet, wet, wet and cold all the time. It was so tough. We, the rain began in... in in Kansas and Missouri, and it never ended until the finish line. It was really, really... Yeah, that, that is miserable. 2013, yeah. very nice photo to describe the terrible conditions. And it um, even looks like perhaps there might be a lot of wind there from the look of how the rain is falling, and even your position on the bike looks like you're a little bit sideways there. Yeah, we had a terrible side wind. It was thunderstorm from the from the south, from the right side. And yeah, I I just told you that I never had really bad weather in the Rocky Mountains, but in Kansas there is I think I've always had thunderstorms since in Kansas until maybe one year. So there is a 80 or 90% um chance to have thunderstorms when you when you ride through Kansas 
especially mm. in the afternoon and in the evening. But yeah, one or two hours of very hard rain is, is like what you should prepare for. And like we had last year, it was raining. It never stopped raining until they finished. It was very bad luck. Mm. Yeah, amazing. It's incredible the elements that you have to battle. Again, people don't consider that. They only think, okay, 3,000 miles of biking, that's not too bad. I could bike maybe 100 miles on the trainer uh, every day even, maybe. And that is difficult in itself, just you know, keeping your legs spinning for that long, eating enough and all those other challenges. But then the elements also are brutal and you won't know until you experience it for yourself. So we're talking about Kansas and you're saying from Kansas all the way to the East Coast, it was uh, storming really bad. And sometimes there, there are very terrible storms, could even be tornadoes or at least tornado force winds going through there. Now, there, another great picture. So this one is an epic photo, but here's another one also. Looks like this one is also around the same area, day five. See more rain. Now, this one looks calmer. But still, with all the rain, you could see your whole body, your shoes, your bib shorts, your, your top, everything getting soaked. Of course, your crew is sitting nicely in their van. They're nice and dry and warm. But you're out here battling those elements, and that makes it very difficult. And uh, it can get very cold as well. It doesn't have to fall to zero degrees to feel cold when you're wet. That's one of the challenges as well. So going back to the route now, so you go through Colorado, you made it through there, the highest elevations that you'll go through in the race across America, seven to 10,000 feet. Then you go through Kansas, of course, now it does get hot and humid in Kansas. It's flat as well. Then you pass into Missouri. From Missouri onwards, quite frankly, to the East Coast, all the way to the finish line, there's a lot of rolling hills. You can't really tell in the elevation chart when you're looking at all 3,000 miles, but give us an inside look from your perspective as you're going through Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, what the route is like for you and how you're feeling at those points. It gets more difficult again because in Kansas, it's uh, you have wind and you have um, yeah the elements and sometimes really tough rain, but it's it's not a lot of climbing. It's it's easy riding. Um, Mental, it can be very challenging because of the because it's boring. But for your body, you can you can have um, some easy hours maybe if you if you just let it roll on the flats. But in Missouri and and Illinois and and Ohio, there are up and downs all the time. So it's never really flat anymore. It's a lot of climbing, a lot of difficult sections. Mm. And additionally, in that state of RAM, your mind starts to go a little bit crazy and the lack of sleep begins to make problems more and more. So mm. your physical fitness is very important for the first half of the race. And in the second half of the race, it, it gets more a mental challenge. Mm. Yes, well said. And a whole another challenge that people, again, will take for granted if they have no experience with multi-day events. Now, here's a photo. This is from day five. It looks like you did find somebody else out there on the route. Tell us about who this is and what's going on here. Yeah, that was the 2012 race when um, I had a very bad start and then catch Rito Schoch, who was the leader. Hmm. 
And then we had some, yeah, we exchanged some works and after that, um, I was in the lead for a few hours and he was in the lead for a few hours and he was an, a great cyclist in the mountains. So in that year, he was finally deciding the race and winning the race because I couldn't follow him in the Appalachian mountains. He was um, shaving off my time another few, I think it was two hours on the finish line. It was very close, but yeah, he was the fastest one in that year. Yeah, and, and the Appalachians are something I'm looking forward to when I ride through Missouri, Missouri and Ohio because hmm. Appalachians are, yeah, I like them. They are very steep and very challenging, but a bit more exciting than the than the yeah. mile before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting towards the end as well, but also compared to, you know, going through Arizona and Utah Monument Valley, I mean, the landscape is beautiful, but also it's kind of it's kind of bland and there's a lot of rock and dry and heat and those kinds of things. Now, once you get into Kansas, uh, you know, you start getting some more of that green, a lot of the farmlands, the countries countryside and then of course going through missouri all the way to the east coast you start getting that very nice kind of american looking those homes the nice lawns you know much more uh, beautiful countryside now here's a photo this is on day let's see this photo is on day four so you're probably around the kansas i think this is probably kansas maybe even towards heading towards missouri now here on this road you could see some rolling hills now those ones are small ones once you get into Missouri and onwards, you get some very, very large ones. And in the Appalachians, even before the, the major climbs, looking at the route, even before you get to the major climbs, there are a lot of other big rolling hills uh, all throughout that area, which again, you can't tell on the elevation chart, doesn't do it justice, but it's, it's not easy by any measure. Looking at the elevation, it may look like the first third or so through Colorado is the most difficult when it comes to climbing. But in the last half, especially with all those miles in your legs, and like you said, the mental fatigue, the tiredness, the confusion in your mind, it makes it even more difficult. So what else? I mean, because you're in that mental state there towards the end and kind of wrapping up here, I mean, are you aware, are you very aware of what is happening, everything that you're seeing and what you're passing through and perhaps even the fans that are cheering you on from the little towns out there? Or what, are, what kind of mental state are you in? Yeah, sleep deprivation is hard to explain if you have not experienced it yourself because in the first one or two nights you have to to try not to fall asleep and, and you're tired and your your eyes want to uh, to be closed. But um, when sleep deprivation really begins in the second half of the race, you are not falling asleep anymore. That's not a big problem, but um, you, you do not understand things. You do not remember things. You do not recognize things. You um, just don't know what's going on around you. And it's so important to have people and the crew telling you that everything is good, that, that they are here to help you, that um, you are in the race, that you are doing a good job and everything. So, yeah, the crew becomes even more important to the end of the race. And having that little sleep 
as I do during RAM, it would never be possible in an unsupported race without a crew. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and because, because of that, sometimes in the Appalachian Mountains, um, there is the one time station from the Yuri Robich Award from uh, Cumberland to Hancock. It's mm. considered the most difficult time station of the whole race because of the distance and climbing ratio. And there are four big climbs and, and all of them look the same. They look similar. And when you are there in the race, I also have heard the story from other riders. A lot of riders believe that they're going up the same hill four times and they think they are like going in the loop and right. back they go from west to east, but in their, in their minds, they think that they are going in circles. Because, um, yeah you just you just are too tired and too sleep deprived to to realize what's going on yeah it's so true so looking at some of the other photos again we we're talking about the storms lightning great photograph captured there of course here's some of your crew cheering you along we talked about riding during the nighttime so it was a challenge but very peaceful and beautiful Lot to think about during those times. Of course, you've also had incredible crew members throughout all your rams. Now, do you get a lot of the same guys coming out to support you each time or are the crews different? I think that having a good crew is one of the most important and one of the most underrated things in ram. Um, of course, everybody in the crew must be um, great in his job even if maybe he's a mechanic a physiotherapist a sports doctor mm. uh, a car driver but on the other side there must be um, a good spirit in the crew a good everybody must must like each other it's it's not possible that there are people in the crew who are selfish or who are aggressive or who are not patient or something. We have just talked about sleep deprivation and, and the tough night riding at the end of the race. And here again, a good crew is helping me so much, um, staying awake and, and keeping me, me encouraged and, and motivated. And yes, I try to have the same crew in, in the next year than I have done in the year before. Because then I'm sure that, that everything is working um, in, in the crew. But of course, not every time people can take free time in their job or get the holiday needed. So sometimes there have to be new crew members, of course. But when I look back on my, on my fastest year in RAM 2014, I had a crew when you add all the RAM participations of each crew member, we had 42 RAM experiences. Wow. Yeah, Amazing. so the crew chief, I think it was his seventh RAM. For me, it was the sixth RAM. And yeah, everything together, we had 42 RAM participations. At, and this is, yeah, experience you cannot buy for any money. Amazing. And it's so true. Of course, it explains a lot about why you were able to be so successful as you're famous for saying also, 
that a crew can't win the race for you, but they could definitely lose it for you. But also they could help you get to the finish. We talked a lot about the whole Ram route and the challenges that you face going across America. And it's been very insightful to learn from you and also to see all these nice photos that your crew has captured for you and your photographers. We're glad to be able to share in those experiences with you. What would you like to say to all your fans and also your supporters, your crew members? Um, yeah, it's always, there is always the rider in the spotlight. You see the um, multi-time Ram winner and the record setting rider, but it's always an effort of the whole crew and the whole team. And, and even during the year when it's just, Everything is about training and preparation. I need time. I need people who support me, and and so it's always a team effort. And yeah, it's good to have positive people around you, and it's absolutely necessary. So always take care of who is in your crew. Pick good people in the crew. Make some crew training as well mm-hmm. as mental preparation and physical training. Mm, well said. That's, what, that's what I wanted to say and of course thank you to all the people who support me and also when uh, when a race is going on uh, people who send me some messages or comments or some some encouraging things that's really good so f- for me to have the feeling of many people uh, thinking of me um, keeping their fingers crossed and sending some good vibes that's really great thank you yes. We're all glad to watch you and we look forward to having you back here. Maybe 2021 won't happen due to the pandemic, but we look forward to the next time around. We're sure there'll be many more victories. A couple of short questions as we finish here on a fun note with audience questions. One from Simon Potter. He's just wondering if every condition was perfect and everything went to plan and perhaps maybe there's no storms, there's no rain, you know, maybe the heat in the desert was maybe in the low 100s throughout the whole time. Uh, how fast do you think you can complete RAM now with the new course? Do you, I, I wonder, do you think you could break the eight days again, even with the, the slightly different course? Yes, I think I'm sure. In um, 2018, I was very close. It was eight day, one hour. And it was even faster than my seven day, 22 hour, right? Because of the longer route. But yeah. The conditions, if they are perfect, sub-eight day is possible, but cruise, um, but conditions are never perfect. It's impossible to have perfect conditions, so it doesn't really make sense. Race Across America is not about having perfect conditions. It's about accepting bad conditions and making the best out of it. Wow, yeah. That's really well said, Christoph. Very true. And that's what makes it what it is. Okay. Phil Fox asked a question, what's left to conquer? Now, just to remind folks, in the last episode, you were also talking about what you have planned for 2021. And you do plan to set another world record. Just mention that one more time. What is it? My big goal for the future is to do a 24-hour record attempt and uh, beat the 1,000 kilometer mark in 24 hours wow that's something i definitely want to do Mm. and regarding race across america i have 
I'm not sure yet when uh, I will be back. Um, I have, yeah, I have to, to wait and see uh, the situation. And of course, have an, and look inside me to my motivation. Um, yeah. I will keep you updated in the future. I'm not sure yet. Yes, sounds good. Okay, last question, Georgi Stoichev. He's wondering about your, your, your favorite or top workouts for building sustained power over a long time. Maybe you just give us at a high level, what is one that Georgie could do? What, what's a fun, hard one, the hardest one you can give to give Georgie a bit of a, a, bit of a workout? <laughs> yeah, the hard workouts are not fun. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, yeah, I tried to, to write um, at about 80% of my FTP for five six or seven hours this is really really tough and it will take you some some days to recover from that mm -hmm. but doing that once a month or something can be um can be a good exercise yeah hmm. yes sounds like a lot of nice torture i mean good workout to make you strong <laughs> so georgie we'll look forward to seeing your strava upload when you do that effort you can call that the christoph workout <laughs> Well, Christoph, it has been a great pleasure to have you again on the show. It's been a lot of fun to talk about what you're most well-known for, your race across Americas. Of course, we wish you all the best for your upcoming season. I know you're busy starting with all your training, and I hope you have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we look forward to seeing all of your races and following your journey in 2021. And of course, then having you back on the show to celebrate all of your successes and also all the challenges that you might face, because I know there's a lot of lessons. You've shared a lot with us. So thanks again, Christoph. We hope to see you again in the new year. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Goodbye. All right, everyone at home watching, thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you learned a lot between this episode and the last one. Again, episode number 37. Check it out. There's so much information, a wealth of knowledge that Christoph has shared with all of us. As he's mentioned, he has so much experience with the Race Across America, many other ultra races, which we haven't yet been able to cover. But follow him on Instagram, on Facebook. Check out his website. He has so much great content out there, and he shares so freely. So if you're looking to do an ultra event yourself, looking to compete in the race across America. Learn from the only six-time champion himself. And until next episode, everyone, keep spinning ultra. <laughs>